Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. This is uh, the first show that we've had that's after a break, so that'll be interesting to see as far as, like, they've had two weeks to set up a good Nitro, so hopefully we get some good action. Uh, That's a good point. Uh, I'd like to point out that uh, John Amantorp, our our third host, uh, found out that he was doing the job on this week's show and called in sick. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so he is he's learning from Hogan as we go through these uh, episodes <laughs> or or maybe it's he realized he wasn't up to the task like Johnny be bad <laughs> yeah that's right Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah good theory I uh, want to remind everyone that you can find us on facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro we're on twitter at 20 years of nitro of course you can always email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com and we're part of two wonderful networks, first being the OSW Podcast Network, which you can find at piledriverwrestling.net. And, of course, there's always the freaking awesome network <laughs> at freakingawesomenetwork.net. Today is, of course, March 11th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the LJVM Coliseum in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in front of 6,899 fans uh, who paid a total gate of $68,600. Do not have uh, how many of those fans were paid and how many were free, but that's a pretty high gate, so I would it, it seems to suggest that a lot of them actually paid to get in this week. Yeah, and and almost 7,000 people is a pretty good turn. I, I guess I hadn't really been keeping tabs, have... That is recent, that's definitely pretty good. Yeah, I mean, have the last few weeks have they been doing all better as far as the attendance, or is it kind of up and down depending on where they? Because here, I mean, they're in North Carolina, so they're kind of in you know Flair Country, right. WCW Country. So it seems like you know it has to do more with the size of the arena because it seems like they normally fill the arena. It's more a question of how many people actually paid to get in there. Sure. Uh, so this is definitely a bigger arena than maybe they're normally uh, going in. Uh, it's mm-hmm. you know a little bit. It's still a small market, but it's bigger than some of the random ass places. What was that uh, uh, bumfuck Maryland like a few weeks ago that they were in? Uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, was it like Wim Wimlico? Oh, the the Wico Mico Center. <laughs> yeah, it was like that's in in Salisbury, Maryland. I remember the Salisbury Steak. So Salisbury, Maryland. <laughs> mm. Um, I mean nothing nothing compares to that. Uh, where they had the Nitro and Clash of the Champions at that tiny ass arena, where like you could see the roof. Like, oh, Caesar's from Palace. Yeah. yeah, that is a small ass arena. Yeah, yeah. So the scale, uh, you know, they're picking up money. Um, you know, they've actually in the Wrestling Observer they talk about how they've actually started to run some more house shows. You know, when when Bischoff took over, one of his first things was basically shutting down house shows because they mm-hmm. were just a, a loss for the company. However, they actually ran some recently on the East Coast and they were very successful. Uh, mm-hmm. So they may be actually getting back into the house show game a little bit. Yeah, I did actually notice that because um, I I go one of the websites I go to is the history of WWE dot com. Sure. Uh, which gives lots of it, it gives like every live show. So yeah, I use you, that website as a reference for this uh, podcast a lot as well. Yeah, and um, I I did notice that I mean in comparison to WWF WWE, there's a lot less listed as far as um, house shows are concerned, but recently when it turned to 96 you start seeing a lot more of them 
and um, including last month's uh, brief title change with the t- TV title with Lex Luger and Jaime Bad. Yeah, we didn't mention that on this show, but uh, as Dave referenced, the TV title actually switched hands from uh, Johnny B. Bad to Lex Luger at a house show and then back to Johnny B. Bad before the television uh, before the next television tapings or Nitro aired. Mm-hmm. And it was never referenced on air, um, but it is counted as, as an actual title change. Yeah, they, they have some... I, I don't know what their interpretation of what a television champion is, but like... Yeah, it's defending... defended on pay-per-views. It's defended at house shows. <laughs> right. It's not often defended on television. I mean, if you show up as television champion on Nitro, you yeah. usually get knocked out. <laughs> well, we should probably uh, specify that it's not defended on Nitro. It, it could be defended on Saturday night every single week, you know, for all we know. Uh, and in fact, it was defended on Saturday night this past week, uh, but we'll talk about that. A little, okay. <laughs> a little bit later. Okay. Uh, so the announcers open up our show, and apparently our main event tonight is another six-man tag between the Mega Booty Powers, as I have uh, <laughs> as I have named the Mega Powers plus I, the Booty Man. <laughs> I immediately like that, <laughs> and we should go forth with that. Uh, versus Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson. Uh, they are representing uh, something that I don't believe they name on Nitro at all, at least not in this episode, but on Saturday night they have gone ahead and named the Alliance to End Hulkamania, which is the alliance between the Four Horsemen and the Dungeon of Doom. Okay. Uh, this is going to be, however, a strap match and also a lumberjack match and also a tag tornado match. Like It's every kind of – they're just every match. Every match yeah. is this match. <laughs> um. And I, I feel like in this episode, since there was a break, and uh, I don't know if the people listening can kind of pick up, but but Tim is the one that does a lot of the research and, and watches like podcasts, uh, listens to podcasts and watches Saturday Night and stuff like that uh, for like outside research. So if there's additional information, it's typically I'm asking Tim about that. Um, but what I was wondering is at this point. Do we have an idea of who is in the like the double cage of doom? That's a great question. Uh, I yeah, and I know I was going to talk about it later, but let's let's go ahead and talk about it right now. Uh, the main event at Uncensored is being uh, billed as a doomsday cage match with f- uh, four cages. Mm-hmm. It's a three level structure, but one of the levels is split into two cages apparently. Right. Uh, and in that, uh, Hogan is going to be in that uh, match alone. And he's going to have to proceed through four cages. Uh, it'll be Kevin Sullivan, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, and Loch Ness. That is where things stand as of now. Okay. Things will change considerably by the time we get to un- Uncensored. Okay, so at this point, it is simply Hogan? It's simply a one-on-four? Yes. Yep, okay. it's a one-versus-four, um, yeah, and, and against those four. So each of those guys will be in their own cage, and Hogan will have to... Uh, go through each of those cages progressively in order to win the match. Because <laughs> I do, I do remember what the cage looks like and how that kind of works. Yeah, I think the easiest way to remember if you're someone our age is uh, it's like the the shrine of the silver monkey from Legends <laughs> of the Hidden Temple. <laughs> We have to go through each place in order to find a portion of the silver monkey. From there, you could be headed into the throne room. <laughs> the choices are yours and yours alone. What was your favorite team? Mine was always Silver Snakes. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, Silver Snakes. Um, that I mean, that that was like the cool sounding one, wasn't it? If you were on that show and you weren't a Silver Snake, I'd be fucking pissed off. <laughs> they gave me my T-shirt. It was like the green barracuda or whatever the hell. No, blue barracudas. There's like the and then like the 
there's like the green green iguanas or something. I don't. I can't remember. But welcome to Nick Chat, where we go over all your favorite Nickelodeon <laughs> shows of the 1990s. Twenty years of Nickelodeon. <laughs> uh, this week, Pepe is dressed in a birthday hat and uh, a birthday cape. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't quite understand how the cape goes with it. Um, but anyway, that's that's what he's wearing. <laughs> that was one where, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, Mongo is not going to bother explaining this one. <laughs> No, he's too busy promising us that those of us who never experienced the wonderful joys of child abuse are going to get a taste <laughs> yes. of it in the in the main event tonight. Yeah. I believe his actual quote is something along the lines of, "Those of you who whose daddy never took him behind the woodshed and with a strap are going to learn something tonight," or yeah. something like that. Um, it was somewhere around the lines because <laughs> it, it sounded more like uh, homoerotic than that. Yeah, because he sounded like into it. Yeah. So I don't know about erotic, but like definitely enthused. Like yeah. th- it was a fond memory of his yeah. getting his ass kicked behind the woodshed. But, I mean, he referred to being pounded behind the woodshed. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that, <laughs> right? But yeah, you're right. He he made it sound like it's like because that's how that's what grown ups all about. <laughs> and if you did if you did get beat up, you did become like a Super Bowl champion, <laughs> like Mago McCycle. <laughs> Well, back to the show, and oh, fuck, Hacksaw's music is playing. (laughs) Here comes Duggan, and he's going to be facing the Giant. Uh, They're still playing up this uh, Irish tape fist champion thing with Duggan. You may recall a long time ago on the show, we referenced uh, a promo for Saturday night segment called Jim Duggan Goes to Ireland. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if you saw it, Dave, or not. I'm not sure if I ever told you. Uh, An enterprising uh, fan of ours... Uh, in fact, he, he he is actually the one who first contacted me about joining the freaking awesome network. Oh, nice. Uh, his name is Justin Ober, Oberholzer. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Uh, he got, he put on the Facebook page a link to the segment, Jim Duggan Goes to Ireland. Oh, okay. And uh, it's Jim Duggan just in an Irish bar that clearly is not in Ireland. Yeah. And there's a bartender doing a terrible fake Irish accent, <laughs> and he tells Jim Duggan about like his family's history where supposedly... His his like grandmother and his his uh, great grandfather, you know, like it's it's supposed to be funny. Uh-huh. Uh, how he's it's a long lineage of taped fist boxing champions. Okay, uh, and it is months later, and they are still going with that gimmick for whatever godforsaken reason. And also, I mean, I, I feel like it should be pointed out at some point or another. Taping your fist, I'm pretty sure, it gets you disqualified. Oh yeah, should be. It should. I mean, he's usually trying to do it in secret. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll certainly see <laughs> what happens in this match. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it gets to a point where I'm like, it it is illegal, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure. Uh, fans of the show may remember the last time the tape fist came stuff came up. Uh, Duggan uh, was taping his fist in a match against um, Big Bubba, and then Big Bubba tried the same thing. Mm-hmm. Oh no, Big Bubba was in a match against Hawk, I believe. And yes. Hacksaw came down and tripped him while Big Bubba was taping his fist. <laughs> Big Bubba fell on his own fist and knocked himself out and lost the match. <laughs> that was what, that. That was also the match where the referee noticed that his tape, yes, like, the tape, the 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 instrument or whatever, fell off his pocket and just allowed right. him to put it back <laughs> in his pocket. Out comes the giant alongside Jimmy Hart, uh, and you know, I mean, he's been with Jimmy Hart for a while, but I never really thought of it before. Sticking him with such a puny manager is such a smart play mm-hmm. for getting over how huge he is. Yeah. And uh, sticking with Sullivan is smart, too, because as far as wrestlers go, Sullivan's tiny. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's he's blocky, but he's short, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so they, they really do a good job of finding guys for him to walk out with 
that really emphasize how fucking big this guy is. Yeah, but then but then Mongo makes a claim that Jimmy Hart is no small man, which is just a bold faced lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean Jimmy yeah. Jimmy Hart is like he is a tiny guy. Right. I mean there's no there's He's no getting Yeah. But but Mongo's like the Giants huge compared to Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart's no small man. I'm like, come on, Mongo. Seriously. All right, so so the announcers at this point reference the first of, as I promise, uh, will be many changes to the uncensored card. Okay. So you may recall I just told you who was supposed to be in that match. All right. However, we learned that on Saturday night in a series of uh, segments, it was announced that Jimmy Hart has retained uh, power of attorney over Lex Luger. So Lex Luger right. has ostensibly chosen Sting over Jimmy Hart, although we've seen that at times, he's still willing to let Hart do his dirty work for him. Uh, but Jimmy Hart is is insisting that he still has a signed power of attorney over Lex Luger. And in fact, he has that uh, WCW lawyer from way back when the Giant won the belt after Halloween Havoc. You oh. remember the WCW lawyer? Oh, the guy that sounded like Kermit the Frog? Yes. Yeah, okay. They have him back on to verify that, yes, indeed, Jimmy Hart has power of attorney over Lex Luger. <laughs> Luger. Uh, so Jimmy Hart pulls Luger from the tag match at Uncensored. You know, there's yeah. supposed to be the Chicago street fight. Mm -hmm. Sting is now going to be in that match by himself. Well, he, he's allowed to pick a partner, but we don't know who that's going to be at this point. Yeah. Instead, Luger is going to be taking the place of Loch Ness in the Doomsday Cage match. <laughs> so now Hulk Hogan will be going through four cages, uh -huh. uh, Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Lex Luger. Kind of, sort of, against Lex Luger's wishes. Yeah. <laughs> It sure makes uh, Lex Luger sound like he's a surf or something like that. <laughs> I mean, how, Jimmy Hart has a contract that's basically like, I determine everything for Lex Luger. Lex Luger yeah, he no literally says in his promo on Saturday night that he can tell Lex, legally he can tell Lex Luger what to wear. <laughs> that's how he, I don't, and <laughs> power of attorney is like a real thing. I don't think it means that. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. <laughs> I, I'm no lawyer, but I, I don't think it, you can determine what they wear. Uh, anyway, in another uh, recap from Saturday Night, Loch Ness was mad about that as he'd come all the way from England to get a shot at Hogan. Uh, he shoved Luger and was mad at the Dungeon of Doom. Later in the main event of Saturday Night, there was a big schmoz, and Loch Ness failed to come out and help the heels, so that's oh, kind of notable. Okay. Uh, and during that schmoz, Hacksaw got the best of the Giant, which sort of was a little bit of a setup for this match. Okay. And they referenced that a few times, how Hacksaw beat the giant like all the way back to the locker room is basically what happened sure okay to start off with hacksaw cheap shots the giant from behind the giant looks like incredibly bored by this and i don't mean like paul white is bored i mean he's selling like it doesn't hurt and he's yes. literally bored yeah. mm -hmm. hacksaw presses the attack in the corner with some punches and lunges um and in the crowd you can kind of make out a fan struggling to hold up like a long banner but it looks like security or some other fans are pushing them back and then we cut to a wider shot, and we see that there are actually two people holding up signs. One is an African-American gentleman. The other, uh, you can just barely make out, is Brian Pillman. I, I could tell it was him for the, the half T-shirt he was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> no, who else wears a shirt like that? <laughs> uh, they're holding up identical signs that say, Call Brian, 1-900-200-PILL. Yeah. The announcers at first do not mention this at all. And the camera never focuses on it. Uh, smart, smart fans, and, and you're all such smart fans, uh, <laughs> uh, will, of course, realize that since, you know, Bischoff and Pillman have been colluding on this whole work everyone thing, mm -hmm. that this is, you know, 
he know Bischoff knows that Pillman's coming in. But of course, Bischoff, in his desire to work everyone around him, has not told the uh, director or the camera operators that this is going to happen. So they don't know that they should clearly show that this is Brian Pillman, which is why you never get a clear shot. Right. So, I mean, they say it's Brian Pillman eventually. And of course it is, Brian. But you never get a good view of it because they have no idea that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Because Bischoff believes that if if they don't know, then they'll shoot it more like it would really happen were Brian Pillman to actually break in with some signs. <laughs> uh, however, for people like Dave Meltzer, um, you know, and, and your smart fans back in the day, this is easily, this is the point where it's incredibly clear that this is a work. It, yeah. it, it is no longer possible to believe that Brian Pillman is just a crazy shooter. You'd, you'd have to be, I mean, if you're 12, you could believe that. And that's fine. I'm not even calling 12 year olds dumb. Mm-hmm. And and wrestling is marketed to a younger demographic, even as it gets edgier, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's fine. But anyone, you know, over the age of 18 should, at this point, realize, okay, everything with Pillman and WCW is working. The giant chases dug into the outside. Hacksaw jumps off the ring apron, but is caught and tossed into a corner post. Uh, we'll now go to an audio clip as Bischoff uh, lets us know officially that it is, in fact, Brian Pillman. On Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. Duggan's in trouble here. A thundering forearm. And then Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. Up. Big right hand into the midsection. Keep pounding on him, Giant. Wait a minute. Don't wait a minute. Pillman. It looks like Brian Pillman down at... Ring. Hold on. I'm going down. Oh, get him. Get him there. What's going on here? I don't know where Bischoff's there goes going. There goes Bischoff. Keep a camera on him. Somebody follow him. I want to know what's going on here. The Giants got a a, a bear hug on him. He's trying to get a submission out of, I don't know if he can do that out of Hacksaw. But look what's going on there at ringside behind Jimmy Hart. Eric Bischoff's at ringside. Brian Pillman. I can't see from my distance. I can't see. I'm in the monitor here. Are they actually going toe to toe down there? Looks like he's being escorted out of here by some security. I'm not really sure what's going on yet. Back to the match. Hacksaw, Jim Duggan in trouble. I'm glad you got all that taken care of, brother. So as you can hear, he confirms that it's Pillman, and he is off to deal with it personally. Right. Uh, So once again, sort of playing to your smart fans, the fact that, you know, people... Uh, in the know or understand that Bischoff is the executive vice president of WCW, not just their announcer. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? What did you think of the you know the way they worked this? Did you did you like it? Did you dislike it? Or just kind of it was there? I I didn't I didn't care for it. I mean, like we've mentioned before, it, it's a question of who benefits, and especially the way where it's where it's like you can't really even see you you couldn't even read the sign, right? Um, and the sign is also. Not the full phone number. It's one nine hundred two hundred Pillman. It actually was a nine hundred number that Brian Pillman started mm-hmm. with Brian Pillman news that he apparently made. I tried to find out what it said on there, but I I haven't been able to find that yet. Okay. Um, but it is a real number, and it but the full number. I guess you're having to assume that the full number is Pillman. <laughs> no, no, but it's just you know it, it seems like it's something that that amuses Brian Pillman. Right. But I I. I don't really even understand how he benefits from it because, I mean, he's not, like, really affiliated with, like, a show or he's not, um, you know, getting the benefit of, uh, like, a contract or a crowd or gates or anything like that. So I, I just, I don't know. It, b- besides more than just kind of uh, 
uh, playing to the desires of Brian Pillman. I don't really know the other benefit for this. And like you said, the way that it was shot, I mean, if he didn't, if uh, Bishop didn't point out eventually this Pillman, you could have easily missed it. Right. Except there's a part where Pillman was like basically crawling over the barricade and you kind of get distracted by that. And in this case, since it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus the Giant, it's kind of okay to be distracted. Well, and they either were clued in a bit or or Hacksaw, you know, using his veteran leadership, kind of called it on the fly. They work a bear hug for pretty much all of this. Yeah. So that the fans are allowed the distraction without missing anything important in the ring. Yeah, I did. I did kind of notice that, too. I mean, it was kind of a prolonged bear hug moment Yeah. where it's like. Well, let's see. Okay, there's nothing to see here. <laughs> the one thing I think Bischoff does smartly is once he gets back, uh, he doesn't talk about it at all. And and Mongo even kind of baits him a little bit and, like, kind of half mentioning it or asking about it. And Bischoff just, like, plows forward without, like, acknowledging that. That was the one way that I thought Bischoff did play it smart. And like you are mentioning as far as uh, Bischoff and Pillman not telling anyone else, I felt like especially Mongo really played it off really well instead of, like... Uh, it could could easily kind of freaked out like the the show was kind of falling apart, but right. but when he left, he's like, well, I guess it's just you and me, brain. You know, he he rolled right along with it, so I I thought it was kind of kudos to him. Also, this this is just a theory, but we read the excerpt of Bischoff's book where he talks about something happening that he doesn't remember what that tipped off Hogan that this was all a work. Okay, just my guess. I bet it's this. Yeah, this seems like you know uh, Hogan probably the the point where he's like oh shit i've been worked and i'm pissed about it yeah you know so <laughs> that's just a, yeah, i'm just guessing on that one uh hacksaw bites his way out of the bear hug giant selling is still a major weak spot in mm-hmm. his overall game it's noticeably bad and this match unfortunately is way too long and really exposes that weakness of his yeah this match is way too long Giant quickly returns to dominating the match until he misses a dive into the corner and hits the ring post. At this point, the announcers wish Hacksaw's dad uh, get well soon as he's recuperating from surgery. Uh, and Brain informs us that Hacksaw Sr. is a police chief in uh, somewhere in New York State. Yeah, Jim Duggan's dad, I hear, is in the hospital. He broke his hip, was a police chief in Glens Falls, New York. And you know how he hurt his hip? He was reaching for a glazed donut and he fell and broke his hip. And that he broke his hip while reaching for a glazed donut. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bobby. I did like that. <laughs> I like that. It, and I thought it was a good way to break up because it was like a really awkward. Yeah. At first, I thought they were going to say that his dad passed away. And it did like, sound like that, yeah. Yeah, because they had like that sort of tone. But it was like a really weird thing to kind of just bring up. I think like Jim Duggan was kind of getting beaten up at that time, too. So, yeah. So it was, it was pretty good for, for Bobby to kind of like bring a hedonism in there. Duggan goes into his three-point stance and clotheslines the giant over the top rope. Uh, doesn't bother the giant at all, though, so he uh, gets back in the ring and attacks Duggan, who is caught taping his fist. Uh, so he pulled out some tape from his, his shorts. He gets attacked by the giant, so he's not able to successfully tape that wrist. Uh, the giant hits some more offense and another long, boring bear hug. Duggan punches out of the second bear hug and rolls to the outside of the ring, where he finds some electrical tape on the ground that's, like, holding down a camera wire. So he starts pulling up that tape in yeah. order to tape up his fist. <laughs> By the way, uh, Jim Duggan wants to make a big, like, show of taping his fist, too. Right. In which he's, like, he he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Look, He's, like, the person that has, like, a really hard time wrapping a present. Yeah. 
and it's just like the tape's going all over the place. <laughs> it's like up his it's like up his elbow. <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous. Meanwhile, in the shot, Randy Anderson stands in the ring and watches this entire thing, including uh pointing at the tape. <laughs> And, like, just looking sort of angry. <laughs> the giant shoves Randy Anderson to the ground, so Hacksaw comes in and gets in some illegal punches. Uh, Randy Anderson, when he gets back on his feet and looks over, he looks at the giant and he looks at the tape fist. And then he, like, looks at the tape and then makes a point, like, a punching motion. Like, did he punch him with that tape? <laughs> Mongo asks if the referee can see what Hacksaw is doing. <laughs> yeah, Mongo. I'm pretty sure he can. What? <laughs> In Mago's defense, he's probably beside himself that he's, like, <laughs> s- clearly staring at him doing something really illegal. It's the football equivalent of, of a cornerback taking out, like, a police baton and wailing <laughs> the wide receiver in the leg. And the referee seeing it and making the motion of wailing someone in the leg with a police baton <laughs> right. and then not calling pass interference. <laughs> Jimmy Hart grabs the tape uh, off of Duggan and Duggan pulls Jimmy into the ring using the tape as leverage. Duggan headbutts Hart, but the now-recovered giant hits a choke slam for the victory. Uh, this was a bad match. It was too yes. long, too long, way too much offense from Duggan. Uh, I, you know, I thought it exposed the giant in in two senses of the term. One, he shouldn't take that much offense from a jobber like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah. And two, he should not be in a match that long if he can't sell. Right, and and I think. Uh, a shot that kind of like summed it up for me was when they did the replay and they showed the giant pinning Jim Duggan, and the t- and the tape was on his foot. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even they, oh. it wasn't even they took it off. It was that he was so inept in taping his own goddamn fist that ended up <laughs> on the bottom of his boot by the end of the match. We get a commercial, and when we come back, Dave Penser is introducing a tag team match. Uh, but suddenly we hear some engines revving. Uh, we cut to a shot of the entranceway, and suddenly the, there's now a curtain in front of it, mm-hmm. and you can see behind it the headlights of two motorcycles, which are now revving their engines. Uh, the curtain parts, and out come the Steiner brothers on some Harley Davidsons. Bischoff freaks out and says it was supposed to be the Nasty Boys, uh, but the Nasty Boys, he's he's now being told through his headset, were found injured and are being brought to a local hospital. Uh so who attacked them is is a little bit of a storyline. Uh, but behind the scenes, what's going on is WCW uh, has told the Nasty Boys that they can't continue paying them what they're paying them. They're trying to find some ways to save money okay? Uh, because Scott Hall and uh, someone else may be incoming somewhat <laughs> soon. Uh, so they, they asked the Nasty Boys to take less money. The Nasty Boys aren't really sure what they're doing. So this is like a, uh, you know, you can write the Nasty Boys off completely if they decide to, you know, they don't want to stick around. Or you can bring it back and they can feud with someone. It really leaves both doors open. Oh, so this is this is for leverage then, basically. Yeah, exactly, and and for logical consistency. Believe it or not. <laughs> and and I can I can really buy the fact that uh, the Nasty Boys are probably getting overpaid because Brian Nobbs is a Hogan right Hogan stooge pretty much. So all of his buddies, from what I understand, not only they had jobs but like were handsomely overpaid for those jobs. The Steiner brothers are real-life brothers Rick and Scott Steiner. They were both amateur wrestlers who competed at the University of Michigan, uh, which was a big part of their gimmick during their early years, especially in the WWF years we'll talk about in a minute. 
They competed in uh, NWA-affiliated territories, including the early WCW, back when it, that still had the NWA belts as their championships. They won the NWA World Tag Team titles and the NWA United States Tag Team titles. They would also win the WCW Tag Team titles in 1991 after the company had split from the NWA. They also won the IWGP Tag Team Championships in 1991, uh, part of one of their many successful stints in Japan. These guys were, were always quite popular over there. By 1992, Scott Steiner was being groomed as a single star by WCW, going so far as winning the United States Championship. But a lowball offer from Cowboy Bill Watts resulted in the Steiners leaving for WWF while Scott was still the United States champ. Whoops. Uh, so, of course, was vacated. They won the WWF Tag Team titles in 1993 and generally seemed like a good, successful team. So I've always been kind of confused. By 94, they just weren't really a part of it. it, it it didn't seem like they were unhappy. I've never heard any like disagreements. They just kind of became seldom used by WWF, and I, I've never really figured out why. They left uh, later in 94 and wrestled in Japan and the Indies before joining ECW in 1995 for several shows. They continued to work in Japan as well, and that's pretty much where they were when WCW reached out to them to have them work a program with the Road Warriors. The initial intention was for them to come in uh, work this feud and then maybe go back to Japan, maybe stick around. It was kind of, they're not signed to like a long-term deal right now. Okay. Uh, speaking of the Road Warriors, out they come. And the crowd is really pumped. The crowd's super happy to see the Steiners. Mm -hmm. They love the Road Warriors and they are hot as hell for this match. Oh, yeah. And something I wanted to mention about Scott Steiner because uh, later on down the road when he becomes a successful singles wrestler, uh, like 99, 2000, like he was my favorite favorite guy in wcw um but obviously he's dramatically different when he's just with the steiner brothers but one thing that i kind of like forget um was like even back then in 96 he was pretty jacked up he is looking so you know the last thing i can remember chronologically and i'm sure i've seen things between but uh i'm very familiar with wrestlemania 9 because when i was a kid uh we ordered that one i taped it and mm -hmm. i watch it over and over and over again I know it's like one of the worst WrestleManias, but as a kid, I didn't fucking know that. <laughs> uh, so I really remember them being a part of that pay-per-view. That's yeah. like the last, chronologically, I can think of what they look like then. And to compare that to what Scott Steiner looks like when he shows up in WCW in 1996. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, he clearly had found the steroids long before the Big Bad Booty Daddy era. Yeah. Like, he, it, it's nuts. Yeah, and I, I just, I don't know if it, if it's just me, but I could feel, I felt like maybe there's a misconception that, that he suddenly blew up when he became Big Papa Pump. Right. But maybe that was just me, not, like, uh, remembering it properly. So then, when I was looking back at like '96, I'm like, man, it, the, the signs were there yeah. a while before. Yeah, for those of you who haven't like watched it and, and aren't probably going to get on the network and actually watch these, you rely on just our descriptions. Uh, if you know what Scott Steiner looks like kind of at his heyday later in WCW, he's not at that point yet. Yeah. He, he certainly has a ways to go, mm -hmm. but he is clearly not just a muscular large guy. He is clearly a guy who has found a chemical enhancement for yeah. his all his already existing right. you know, strength. Right, but he's not he's – not yet suffering like the the effects of like having like the large veins in his arm or right and he can move pretty well here too he's not nearly as as oh, stiff yeah. as he becomes later yep 
Hawk and Scott start off things. Uh, they lock up, and Scott hits some forearms. Hawk blocks an Irish whip and gets a, a hip toss. Hawk uh, hits some chops until Scott hits an awesome belly-to-belly suplex and a good pump handle slam. Scott puts Hawk on the top turnbuckle, uh, but some headbutts from Hawk send Scott to the mat. He gets up and eats a flying clothesline. Big boot from Hawk uh, looks really great, and this match has started off fantastic. Yes. Uh, especially, as I mentioned, the crowd is really, really into it, and that always helps raise a match to another level. Um, yeah, another thing I wanted to mention as far as the Steiner brothers are concerned, like, in the day, I, I thought that they were okay. I wasn't, like, a big... Like I said, I not I didn't really get into Scott Steiner until he was a singles guy. Yeah. But looking back, I'm like, I wish I would appreciate him a lot more because they're, like, they're bigger dudes, but they, I mean, they're throwing out, like, suplexes and stuff, and yeah. they have a lot of, like power but also like agility moves and, absolutely and compared to some of the tag teams that wcw has at that time like the world warriors don't they i mean they go to the top row but they're they're more like gravity takes over right and like them and the faces of fear and nasty boys, <laughs> nasty boys. public enemy i mean public enemy has a couple like the the um moonsault you know but yeah but that's also you know gravity takes over <laughs> i suppose that's true but uh the steiner brothers like they i mean they kind of like have a, a move set that just I mean it kind of reminds me of Brock Lesnar and I'm sure it's like the amateur wrestling background that kind of leads to people doing suplexes and things like that but right away I'm like oh that's right I mean these guys have like a, a an arsenal that most other tag teams don't have right Scott goes for a back body drop but it's reversed into a neck breaker by Hawk uh, at this point Rick and Animal are tagged in Animal hits a power slam and a standing drop kick a scoop slam and a uh, elbow drop. Animal always does this elbow drop where he jumps really high in the air. Yeah. And it looks great every time. I, I really... Animal, for me, is... Uh, I think I've underrated him in the past. Watching the Road Warriors, I've actually been really digging what Animal is throwing down every week. Yeah, especially since Hawk seems pretty uh, determined to murder his opponent. <laughs> like that the netbreaker yeah. you mentioned. Like that netbreaker, I... It's a miracle no one's died from that thing. Yeah. Rick needs two clotheslines to take down Animal, and he follows that up with a German suplex. Rick sets up Animal and hits a brutal belly-to-belly uh, suplex from the second rope. Yeah. It looked fantastic. And I'm really impressed by, uh, you know, I've talked about how good the match is so far, but the pace is pretty incredible considering the size of all the men involved. Mm-hmm. These are not guys you think of as cardio guys. Yeah, and and it seems like ma- the Steiner brothers are drawing out more from the Royal Warriors than the Royal Warriors are like more willing to do i mean i know i know animal will sell but hawk you know notoriously does not sell yeah but this i mean he's taking from the very beginning he's taking like everything that they're they're dishing out so it's really i mean just you watch like the center brothers are like why they should hold on to them (laughs) i would imagine um that there's got to be a lot of respect between these teams uh the road warriors have certainly been everywhere and done everything they've been in japan very successfully the Steiners have been in Japan the Steiners have the amateur background I would think that these two teams without having heard them talk about each other I would just imagine that these are two teams that respect the hell out of each other oh yeah definitely Scott gets tagged in and hits another belly to belly this time sending animal clear overhead yeah he just throws him right over the top of him it's amazing (laughs) he gets animal in a tree of woe and goes to the outside to choke him uh, breaking before the five count he then tags in Rick, who dominates as an LOD chant starts. Uh, the crowd are into both teams, but they're slightly more Legion of Doom, I would say. 
Yeah, I would say. I mean, because there was a pretty big LOD chant they broke out, and that was like after the Steiners kind of threw out a lot of impressive stuff. So right. I, you could tell that they're kind of they're they're behind LOD in this. Animal manages to get a boot up as Rick charges, but he can't get the tag, and Rick brings in Scott. Scott settles in with a rear chin lock. Uh, not quite yet the Steiner recliner, just a rear chin lock at this okay. point. Okay. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> Hawk comes in and kicks Scott in the face to break the hold. <laughs> in comes Rick, who works the same uh, rear chin lock, cutting off the hot tag. And right as I complimented the high work rate, Scott comes back in and misses a drop kick. Animal sells anyway for a two count. And now it's been like a good minute and a half of rest holds and then a missed drop kick. <laughs> Rick comes back in now, and uh, the tags are coming fast and furious between the Steiners. Like, you always talk about, you know, good tag team wrestling where a guy comes in, does a little bit. I mean, they're they're tagging, like, at double the rate of even what you'd normally think of yeah. as a team dominating. Scott comes right back in and misses an elbow, and a double clothesline spot takes both guys down. Bischoff hypes the card for Uncensored, and we find out that Medusa is going to be taking on Colonel Robert Parker. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, you still think this is where the big girls play Medusa? <laughs> oh man! I, also, I wanted to point out that Eric, like during this match, says, "I want to know what happened to the Nasty Boys," and I thought, "I don't." <laughs> <laughs> also, at Uncensored, we're getting a United States title match between Eddie Guerrero and Conan. Yeah, uh, so I'm great. looking forward to watching that. Animal finally gets the hot tag, and Scott tags in Rick. Hawk comes in and dominates both brothers with clotheslines and punches. He dumps Scott to the outside and hits a shoulder tackle on Rick and a power slam. The Road Warriors signal for the Doomsday device and set Rick up. Uh, they hit it, but Scott is in the ring and breaks up the pin. Hawk and Rick are now in the ring, and Rick hits a German suplex. On the outside, Scott Steiner sends Animal into the guardrail before heading to the top rope. They set up for the Steiner Bulldog, uh, but Animal distracts Scott, only after taking for fucking ever and making Scott look like an idiot <laughs> who just stands there on the top rope not doing their finishing move for some reason. Right. Hawk instead hits Rick with a side suplex and Scott comes off the top rope and hits him with a flying clothesline. But then he eats a flying clothesline from Animal. Do your job, Nick Patrick. You are losing all control. <laughs> all four men are now brawling in the ring. Scott hits a Frankensteiner that Bischoff calls textbook, but actually was pretty fucking botched, yeah. to be honest. Uh, he gets a pin on Hawk, but Animal breaks it up. The Steiners send Animal to the outside and hit a Steiner Bulldog on Hawk. Animal gets back up with uh, one of Road Warriors' like entrance gear, like a shin pad or an elbow pad or something. They have like uh, forearm pads. Forearm pads. Okay, yeah. that's what it is. Uh, he, he surreptitiously nails Rick with it while Scott and the referee are not looking. Hawk manages to recover and get the one, two, three before Scott notices and can break up the pin. Uh, overall, this was a very entertaining match with a lot of great spots. It got a little botchy towards the end, and I wonder if maybe it's because these aren't really high cardio guys. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that pace, as awesome as it was, by the end it kind of caught up to him. It's also not bad considering that it's probably been a while since these teams face each other. Right. Um, what did, did you like the match? I love this match. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, there was some botches, but the, like the pacing, um, like all the constant tags, everyone getting in their offense basically on everyone else, and and just like it was like an appropriate amount of fake finishes. You yeah. Know, towards the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really liked it. I I thought it was like crummy ending. 
um, of the Road Warriors cheating. I don't know if are, that's going to be... The only reason they're not fully heels now is that the crowd won't accept that. Right. I mean, they've cheated to win almost every match they've had since they came back. Yeah, and I I just I don't buy that the, uh, the forearm pad knocks someone out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, no, I thought it was really good. Um, I, I initially... I thought that the Steiner brothers, it was like, well, it's kind of disappointed in the first match back that they lose. Yeah. But when you mentioned, I mean, that they're here for short term, that makes a lot more sense. Um, what was something else? That was on? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so beforehand, I was going to make this this comment about like how I felt like Scott Steiner had like this dramatic personality change that might have been related to steroids. <laughs> yeah. But then he starts talking after the match, and then I realized, Oh, wait, he's always sounded like that. Well, let's let everyone hear what Dave's talking about. All right, Eric, I don't know if I'm ready or not, but I'll tell you, I could not believe what I saw. I'm sure the replay is going to show something. Scotty, uh, what's your sense of what just happened here? You know, Mean Gene, we've been hunting the road warriors for four years now, and we left the United States because we were waiting for the road warriors to wrestle us. Well, now that we're in WCW, we're coming here for the Road Warriors. And the way you won tonight, Road Warriors, is a disgrace. While well, you remember this day. Wait a minute, Scott, I'm gonna interrupt you. Because I you set the tempo, you set the tone, and the way I see it, you have a problem with us, it starts with us and ends with us. Okay, the point I'm trying to make, the Nasty Boys, as you know, originally scheduled here, and all of a sudden, you guys come in on a pair of Harleys. I mean, this was a little unexpected. I didn't know anything about it. Like I said, Mean Gene, we came where the competition was, and it's right here in WCW. Road Warriors, you haven't seen the, right, the last of us. All right, uh, Rick, I hope you're gathering yourself. You took a, a decent shot there. Hey, we come here to wrestle, to do what we do best. What do they do? Bring something in the ring to hit me with it. What is that? Well, I don't know what it is, but I'm certain it's something that is going to be addressed by officials here at World Championship this Wrestling. This ain't the end, Mean Gene. This ain't the end. I got the feeling, indeed, it is not the end. And it certainly is not the end of WCW Monday Night Bill. Stay tuned. We're going to be back here on TNT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's a guy that he gets, it's like he gets almost angry at the words when he says them. <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing description. <laughs> Holy shit. I My favorite part of this is Gene Okerlund goes, now hold on, I'm going to interrupt you there, and Scott just keeps talking. <laughs> right? Scott's like, the fuck you are. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, God. Yeah, so basically... I was under this impression that, like, when he became, like, really roided up, that he started sounding, like, insane. But right. But, no, in 96, I mean, probably because of the roids, too, but back then, he sounded insane. Right. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing I noticed is that when Rick yells, he sounds exactly like Scott, <laughs> uh, which is funny. Anyway, uh, yeah, this, you know, the promos, uh, it is what it is. It's not a great promo, but yeah. sort of sets up that the Steiner brothers have been wanting to fight the Road Warriors for years, and they just kind of went w over to Japan to, like, wait and hone their craft until the Road Warriors were back <laughs> together. Much. 
this is also the second time recently where a team loses and then they have a promo like vowing revenge right afterwards because the Road Warriors did like the same thing with Sting and Luger. I just thought it was like that's kind of like weird that they do almost the exact same spot. Right. As we come back from commercial, Bischoff is hyping Uncensored, and he mentions that at last year's Uncensored, Ric Flair showed up in a dress. <laughs> oh man, I better order that pay per view now. I was I was wondering if on their promotional posters that was something that they had. <laughs> Not even a picture of him in a dress, just in quotes. Last year, Ric Flair showed up in a dress. Ooh. Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Like it's the review, <laughs> <laughs> and I and the thing that's funny is like that's not even the most recent time a wrestler cross dress. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah. a, that's one of the uh, my little, god a woman. <laughs> that's, that's one of the little perks of being a wrestling fan, I guess. <laughs> Alex Wright comes out. Uh, Bischoff says that this originally was supposed to be a rematch from Saturday Night, where Lex Luger won the television title from Johnny B. Bad. But Johnny B. Bad, quote, didn't feel up to it. Out instead comes Lex with two belts. Bischoff says that Johnny B. Bad could have had a rematch, but instead, quote, played the woman, end <laughs> quote. So what happened? Well, just this very morning, Johnny B. Bad quit WCW after an argument with Eric Bischoff at the airport. Johnny B. Bad's contract had uh, ended on February 28th, and negotiations were ongoing between Mark Marrow, who portrayed Johnny B. Bad, and WCW. There had been some tension as Bad had objected to working with another man's wife as his valet, which we've mentioned on past shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it seemed like they were going to be able to reach some kind of agreement. Everyone thought that they were going to, you know, eventually come to an agreement. Marrow, however, just, you know, to cover all his bases, was also negotiating with the WWF. Marrow approached Bischoff at the airport with a piece of paper he wanted Bischoff to sign. It's disputed exactly what this agreement was for. Uh, the two sort of posited theories are, or, or, or claims are that one, it was a guarantee that Miro uh, would continue to make his usual rate during negotiations. Uh, he had been assured that he would, that he would make his normal money while they were negotiating. Okay. Uh, but he somehow became concerned he was going to make the minimum all of a sudden, which was like $150 a match. So he wanted a signed agreement that said he would retain his prior salary. Sure. Uh, the other theory or the other thing, uh, th and this is coming from the Wrestling Observer, the other possibility is that it was a, a legal agreement that were he to be injured during negotiations, WCW would pay him his, his full salary. Okay. So it was one or one or the other. Bischoff refused to sign whatever it was. Mark Merrod refused to work Nitro without it. Both sides got heated, and that is the end of the Johnny B. Bad character. Happy trails to you. <laughs> well, uh, I I mean I hate to go against like the wrestler here, but it seems like that's kind of a uh, an unprofessional thing to like approach someone at an airport. Absolutely, like, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, and so I, but I mean on the other hand, the way Bischoff like <laughs> the way he reacts to this during Nitro is also really unprofessional. Oh, so, completely. So they're pretty much both sides are to blame, but also seem from like the first like year or so that he's in WWF it turns out pretty good for him so yeah um it's interesting to think where where he could have gone had he stayed in WCW because uh his eventually things in WWF kind of go really bad um i get yeah i don't worry about spoiling WWF i mean he ends up like jobbing to his wife 
and mm-hmm. certainly becoming a secondary character to her. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, his wife is Sable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rena Mero, now Rena Lesnar, <laughs> as terrifying as a prospect as that, that sounds. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, because in '96 when he got there and he he won the Intercontinental title for, in a tournament. Yeah, but then I'm I believe he got injured '97. Was out for a while, then it was pretty much downhill after that. All I know is that whenever I saw him in WWF, I hated him. (laughs) And not like heel hated him. I just fucking wanted that guy off my TV. Yeah. So I've been shocked at how much I've enjoyed Johnny B. Bad. He's had a fantastic series of matches with Dime Dallas Page. Mm -hmm. He had one of my favorite Nitro matches against uh, uh, Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero. Yep. Yep. My other favorite being Eddie Guerrero versus uh, Steven Regal. Okay. I don't know, just FYI. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm actually sad to see him go, especially knowing that where he's going is not going to ultimately end up being worth it, really, you know? Although I don't know with the current Johnny B. Bad character what could have, where he could have gone. He would have needed a repackaging. Yeah. What, once things sort of become more reality-based in the WCW uh you know, I don't know how that character would have fit in exactly. Yeah, so it's it's really hard to tell, but I would just say, in general, I mean, the re- up to the point where he left, I feel like Johnny B. Bad was sort of in the wrong there for approaching him in the airport. But yeah, uh, Eric Bischoff really, I need if he received any like benefit of the doubt, he uses it all up in like seconds. <laughs> Well, WCW was smart to uh, take the belt off him during negotiations, clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why it went to Lex Luger and not to Diamond Dallas Page, who he was actually working a program with. Uh, Because So on Saturday night, the belt is lost. He he loses the television title to Luger Uh with the interference of Diamond Dallas Page. And then they actually advertise a match at Uncensored between Johnny B. Bad and Diamond Dallas Page. This time, the doll... And the money is once again on the goddamn line, (laughs) as is the career of Diamond Dallas Page. (laughs) And the original intention was to have the doll turn on Johnny B. Bad. But instead, things are now changing, and instead the doll is going to end up with a different character. Uh, The TV title ends up on someone else, and Diamond Dallas Page is sort of left in limbo for a bit. But was it, I mean, wasn't it already... It was two weeks ago that the Diamond Doll was indicating she was going towards someone else. Was she just like in two different storylines then? It seems that way. <laughs> cool. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> anyway, we get a commercial. Uh, the WWE Network includes a commercial that I love for the WCW hotline oh, nice. where uh, Mean Gene and Heenan are sort of in disguise getting scoops for the hotline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would play an audio clip, but audio, it's it's not that funny. It's really right. a visual gag with, like, Mean Gene dressed up like a hotel maid, and he's got, like, a microphone and the feather duster. You know, yeah. it's like shit like that. It's yeah. pretty funny. Um, I'm sure we can find it on YouTube. We'll put it on the Facebook page. We will, uh, if I remember, because I always say we're going to do things like that, then I think <laughs> I forget to do them. <laughs> We get the start of the match, a uh, lockup, and Lex takes over right away uh, until he's down from an Alex Wright dropkick. At this point, let's go to an audio clip of exactly what Eric Bischoff thinks of Johnny B. Bad. Lex Luger, the man who is the new world television champion, in there with Alex Wright, stepping in because evidently Johnny B. Bad could not hang where the big boys play. You know, he took the diamond cutter, and he got beat by Lex Luger. I guess he figured enough was too much. 
You know, Lex Luger, one half of the world tag team. So there you have it, Dave. Enough was too much. <laughs> you remember when uh, Owen Hart famously declared enough was too much and it's time for a change? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, he d- does a little more bearing. Probably nothing as bad as saying he played the woman, as he said before the commercial break. But right. Certainly, uh, he is, he's letting the world know that he does not care for this Johnny B. Yeah. Bad fellow. Um, and, I, and I guess that, I mean, it, considering this confrontation was just like that morning. Yeah. And he's probably kind of was like fuming about it all day. Maybe a, a couple comments there is like, that's not like the end of the world. I mean, it's not professional, but he's certainly not. He, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like it's as egregious considering that like. He, he was probably really mad that he did sure. something like that. But, I mean, either way, it's just like, just move on, man. <laughs> you got pl- – they have plenty of guys. <laughs> so – and Lex Luger versus Alex Wright is a really interesting – I wrote that it was an interesting yeah. matchup. Yeah. And um, at least for the beginning, uh, I feel like Luger kind of like – you could tell he understands what's going on as far as, like, the Alex Wright offense. Luger gets out of an armbar with some elbows, but Wright gets a head scissors takedown and a drop kick to send Lex to the outside, where Wright nails him with a huge plancha. Back in the ring, I don't know why I said that like such a fake ass <laughs> with a huge plancha, uh, but it was it was a nice huge plancha. Back in the ring, he hits a top rope uh, double axe handle for two. Bobby says that you can you can't take anyone in WCW for granted, whether it's Alex Wright or or. And then he spends about 10 seconds trying to think of anyone else in WCW, (laughs) and he can't come up with anybody. Luger hits a knee to Alex Wright's back that sends the German to the outside. Lex joins him and runs him back first into the ring before rolling right back in. Lex gets right up for a nice press slam and then some flexing. (laughs) Wright gets a crossbody out of the corner. He then tries a float over in the opposite corner, but Luger catches him and drops him face first on the top turnbuckle. Luger slaps Alex Wright a bit and yells at the crowd, uh, just kind of, you know, getting some heat. Mm-hmm. And I notice that there's two fucking jamokes in the crowd who are wearing suits. Like, oh, look at you. You're, like, you're practically four horsemen. You're at a wrestling event in a suit. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> Bobby informs us that two of the lumberjacks in the main event are going to be the giant and Loch Ness, and Bischoff practically has a heart attack when he finds <laughs> this out. <laughs> Wright gets uh, back into things with the European uppercuts and a back body drop. He hits a jumping wheel kick for two. He gets a a top rope drop kick and then heads to the other corner but is distracted by Jimmy Hart. He fights off Hart and goes for a crossbody, but Lex catches him and drops him just kind of on the top rope, and somehow that's enough for a pinfall victory. (laughs) It's I don't know exactly why being dropped on the rope, which happens a lot in a lot of matches, why in this match it was enough to, like, knock him out or something. Did you... Any theories? Did that seem weird to you? This whole this whole Nitro has featured awful endings to matches. Yeah, it, I I don't know. It was just I, I I to be honest, I feel like I didn't I didn't wasn't paying attention at the moment of the pinfall. Sure. So yeah, um, it really comes out of nowhere. Uh, weird ending. Uh, average match. Yeah, I like I said before. I was I mean, this could have potentially been disastrous since he, they're very, very different. Yeah. And I, I tend to feel that Lex Luger's not very good at adjustments to different. But yeah. I, in this case, I thought he did a really good job working with Alex Wright. And also, just like getting someone like Alex Wright on TV because 
last few weeks have been pretty uh, bogged down by like kind of the same old like like Flair and Hogan. And yeah. Savage well, last time guys. we saw Alex Wright, he was more or less getting squashed by Loch Ness. Uh, oh, yeah. So he loses here, but he does get in a good amount of offense against Lex Luger, and Lex Luger has been portrayed as a big deal. Yeah. So uh, I don't think there's anything for you know a young guy like Wright to to feel bad about you know it. Yeah, but like you said, the ending is really weird too, especially since uh, Luger tends to put on the torture rack regardless right. of what's going on. <laughs> so that that's a little surprising that he he didn't get knocked out and he like dragged him back up for the rack. Luger has the decency this week to at least look annoyed uh, by Jimmy Hart for all the cheating, but he still flexes for the crowd. <laughs> he's like a he's like a goldfish. <laughs> he just he doesn't have the attention span to remember that. <laughs> After a commercial, Flair comes out with Liz and Woman uh, on each arm. He does the thing that him and Arn always do, where he demands that they turn around. Mm-hmm. And we've noticed some reticence on their part in the past, and this time neither of them do even more than a quarter turn. <laughs> like no one puts in any effort towards turning. And you, I, I feel like it's a progressing story, but yeah. really, it's not. I, I just think they're like, yeah. no, we did that before. We're just not interested to do the spin thing. Yeah, I don't know. The horsemen might have some revolt amongst their women folk. I'm not <laughs> sure. Lumberjacks uh, come and surround the ring with straps. So. So not only is it a strap match where there are straps in the ring binding the participants together, but the lumberjacks in this match also have their own straps to just whip people with. And everyone has like the like the Mick Foley plaid shirt without the sleeves yes. on too. Which looks really funny on guys like Mang and the Barbarian. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, in addition to them, I see Squire David Taylor, Diamond Dallas Page, the Giant and Loch Ness, who also look funny in, in flannel shirts, and they couldn't find one big enough to uh, button up on Loch Ness, so it's just hanging open. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Steven Regal's out there, so that's nice to see. You know, he's dealing with that knee injury, uh, so we haven't seen him, but he is out there, mm-hmm. uh, and he's in his wrestling gear, so, you know, it's maybe he maybe he won't be out as long as I had worried. Maybe he'll be back soon. Yeah, Steven Regal also seems like the kind of guy that's like, if I'm out there, I'm in my wrestling gear. <laughs> right, right. The baby faces enter. Uh, before the match can even start, on the outside, the giant holds Hogan for Flair to chop him. Uh, Lock Ness then goes for a punch, but Hogan escapes, and Nessie hits the giant. Uh-oh. The giant takes exception to this and nails Lock Ness, and they start trading slow, lumbering blows yeah. <laughs> as they head up the ra- uh, entrance ramp and are never to be seen again, at least on this episode. Uh, so as we mentioned, Lock Ness is out of the Doomsday Cage match. He's mad at the Dungeon of Doom, and then this whole thing happens... Uh, so guess what match we are going to be treated to at Uncensored? What? The Giant versus Loch Ness? The Giant versus fucking Loch Ness, oh baby. Oh, my God. That is going to be a sight to behold. If that match goes longer than three minutes, someone fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> In the ring, it is a massive brawl with straps. Uh, I, I don't even know how to describe this. I can't call the action. I can't, you know what I mean? Like, I normally yeah. try to call them. This, just imagine uh, ho- the mega the mega booty powers mm-hmm. in the ring, along with Flair, uh, Arn Anderson, and Kevin Sullivan. There's two straps in the ring. They're supposed to have, like, a guy from each team strapped to each other. I don't think that happens once. The straps in the right. ring are only used as, like, whips. And then all of the lumberjacks also have straps. Mm-hmm. So occasionally someone from both from either team gets thrown to the outside and whipped by the lumberjacks. Just imagine that going on for like 12 fucking minutes. 
this is the kind of match in which the the word clusterfuck was created for. I mean, it's it's it it honestly is unwatchable because they have so much s- stuff distracting you. You can't even figure out like well, because you can't concentrate on six guys in the ring, right? And because the lumberjacks also just start finding each other too, right? You know, yes. There's just a shitload of stuff going on that doesn't like. It just kind of goes for a while, then the match ends. The last match uh, that we have watched for part of this that was this unwatchable was the 60-man Battle Royal from World War Three. <laughs> World War Three. <III. laughs> that was the only other comparable match where I watch it going like... I mean, I was glad that we weren't covering that for the podcast because I was like, I don't know how I could possibly describe this match to someone. Right. Uh, so I'm just going to call out some of the specific things that happened, but just know that we are skipping over virtually all of this match because there is nothing good to say. <laughs> There's nothing bad to say. It just is there and it's chaos. Uh, so one thing to note is at one point Kimberly comes out with uh, roses and she is looking super hot and super 90s. Yes. Like yes. her outfit, you know, like a very 90s hat and it's all white. She looks like she's the white ranger. Like... <laughs> Bischoff speculates uh, that she has a thing for the booty man. Uh, you know, we saw her come out with the flowers before, and it wasn't really specified what was going on. Uh, she, she doesn't do anything to indicate that she's there for the booty man, but Bischoff just sort of throws that out there. And, and like the last week, she she gets like halfway down the aisle, and then that's it. Yeah. And then at some point, she just disappears again. Yeah. It's, it's like just an appearance, so they show her on camera, and she like looks like uncertain. Yeah. And for at both times, which I give her credit, is that she's, like, chatting up the crowd and, like, interacting with them because, like, what the fuck else is she supposed to be doing out there? Hey, you know what I learned the other day that I didn't know before? Uh, she's in the 40-year-old virgin. Yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, in the one the, she's in the speed dating scene. Yeah, yeah. For those who have seen that movie, uh, she's the chick in the speed dating scene who talks about being from a small town in Minnesota uh, while her boob is like hanging out of her shirt, yes. and Steve Carell is trying to let her know that he can see her nipple. <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, um, and she's still looking fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so good on her. Animal chases Flair all the way to the entrance, where he slings the champ over his shoulder and carries him back to the ring. The faces are dominating most of the match, but eventually the heels take over. They get some choking in. Then the faces are back in control. <laughs> Uh, I noticed that Dave Sullivan is a lumberjack, so I guess he's still with WCW. Yeah. Uh, that was news to me as well. <laughs> At one point, uh, Bischoff misuses the term uh, centrifugal force. <laughs> Just thought I'd point that out. Uh, we have a lot of fans in England, I've noticed. So uh, for you guys, it's centrifugal force, I think. <laughs> it's one of those random words that like, oh, you say that different. I, I wouldn't have known that. Uh, Sullivan on his podcast says that uh, Hogan really liked in these strap matches to give out very stiff shots, but bitched every time he got hit <laughs> with one, which I don't know if it's true, but it's certainly the kind of thing I want to be true. But like, it fits my image of what I think is true about Hulk Hogan. But, and I, I always wanted to believe that he had like such leathery skin that he wouldn't really <laughs> feel it though. <laughs> uh, Hogan eventually hits the leg drop on flair for the pin pinfall. Yeah. Flair has got to be livid. Because, uh, right. like, he put over Arn twice, but then he got his pin back over Arn, and now he's just pinning the champion in the middle of the ring. Right. God. Uh, the faces clear the ring uh, and outside of the ring of all heels, so the babyface lumberjacks clear the baby fa- uh, the heel lumberjacks out. Mm-hmm. The team of babyfaces get rid of the team of heels, 
And Hogan chases Flair and the women all the way back to the locker room. And Mongo, and I swear to God that I am not making this up, laughs and says, Hogan will chase them to the locker room and whip them until, quote, they get their clothes off. (laughs) I had to rewind and turn on the closed captioning to be like, did he really just say that Hulk Hogan's going to go beat two women until they get naked? (laughs) Yeah, that's what he fucking said. Christ, that's terrible. Like, even by 1996 standards, like, we weren't quite as, like, cognizant of, you know, of, of... rape culture or whatever terms you want to use now <laughs> right. like but even in 1996 dude you come on <laughs> come on he even oh he even says uh the first time he he misuses he says bedroom when he means to say locker room oh. so he goes he's gonna find them back to the bedroom i mean the locker room and whip them till they take their clothes off <laughs> jesus so it's like he's gonna beat them until they consent to sexual relations <laughs> is that what he's trying to get at Oh, because that's that's God. that's like an interesting thought to like say to millions of people on yeah. national television. Well, he's already come out sort of in favor of beating your children. Yeah, We're, we learned a lot about Mongo this yeah. week. <laughs> you beat your children, and that's like a wistful, happy memory. <laughs> you beat your women to get them naked. <laughs> oh. oh man, uh, let's go now to an audio clip of our heels with their uh, promo that they give after this match. For all of this, but I tell you, this uh, lumberjack strap match, six bad tag, everything that it promised to be. Kevin Sullivan, Arn Anderson, Rick Flair, gentlemen, gentlemen, hey, what am I? Chopped liver? Sullivan, come here. If this is any kind of an indication of what we're going to be seeing and uncensored, there is going to be, well, there's going to be something to pay. Yeah, there's going to be something to pay. Hogan, listen, you've had your day in court. You have to go through. Four cages, never before seen in the history of wrestling. And the first cage is earned. Second cage is myself and our reluctant partner, Lex Luger. But then you have to face the man that walks the line, that holds the belt. None other than the world's heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. All right, as woman approaches the ring, Arn Anderson, we're talking about this sensational three-tiered, four-cage match at Uncensored. When you marry someone, the supposed answer that you tell God is till death do us part. Well, we've been married to you, Savage, and Hogan, and Big Brother Booty, you walked in for some 10 weeks now, and it's rocked back and forth. Now, nothing that happened here tonight even vaguely resembles professional wrestling. What you had was an uncensored little bitty piece. Well, Hogan, look in my eyes. Savage, I swear to God Almighty, this won't be over till death do us part. You know, you're probably lucky that those lumberjacks were out here tonight because it looked to me like the booty man, Savage and Hogan, dominated that match from start to finish, Ric Flair. You can beat up the Taskmaster. You can beat up Double A. You can whip the nature boy. But don't ever touch woman. Oh, Elizabeth. Hogan. Hogan! Oh, baby. 
This is in a cage. Hey, hey, hey! Steve, get him! Hogan! Where are you? I want you! Savage! 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 Look what I've got! Come back out here! Savage! You better watch out. You may be fighting off a little bit more than you can chew. Savage, he's got your woman. Oh, please. This is getting very, very heavy. Hogan! Savage! I got the whole world in my hands! Uncensored! You paid a price! Thank you, I'm sorry, I'm gentlemen. I'll tell you what an explosive night it has been here on WCW Monday Nitro. Mongo, Bobby the Brain, Heenan, Eric, let's get back to you, gentlemen. So there you go, just to recap that a bit. Kevin Sullivan runs through who's going to be in each of the cages. Arn... <laughs> Arn sums up my feelings exactly by saying that nothing that happened here tonight even vaguely resembles pro wrestling. <laughs> How right he was. Arn, you hit the nail on the fucking head. <laughs> he by the, his whole time on the mic, short as it is, he's on fire. He yeah. really gives a great promo. Uh and Flair is mostly just mad that they messed with woman. That's sort of his takeaway of this whole yeah. thing. I mean, he He's kind of doing like the he's shouting so much that you're losing the words. Yeah, and it's once again a time where like the people around him are trying to calm him down while he gives a promo. Yeah. And I'm once again like, are they like legitimately concerned his heart's gonna explode? Because <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> the announcers finish up as Flair does like a mini booth invasion. Yeah. So it's not a full <laughs> one like we've seen where he grabs a mic and actually but he's just sort of standing behind them and yelling and looking <laughs> insane <laughs> as the show goes off the air uh what did you think of the show overall this week it there were, there were quite some ups and downs uh i mean the tag team match i thought for the most part was great uh the steiners and the legion of doom not the six-man tag right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but then we i i think we saw something like of the worst wrestling on Nitro, like, so far. Like, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus the Giant was awful. Yeah. And it was way too long. And the six-man tag, it's like, you can't even really describe it because it, it, like Arn Anderson said, it didn't even resemble anything I know of a wrestling match. This is, uh, not to give too much of a backstage peek, but this is, I believe, the first time that you and I have recorded just one episode of the show in a single recording session. We normally do two. Uh-huh. But I had, you, I think, felt the same way, just no desire to watch, immediately watch and research another Nitro <laughs> after right. that six-man double-strap lumberjack match. That, yeah, that, it... <laughs> I needed to walk away for a little bit. <laughs> it, it, it it tested my patience with, <laughs> with the Nitro. Because oh, it was man. just, it was just a mess. Um... Pretty much, you sometimes when they have like the big brawls and the end uh, show, like try describing that as like a move for move. That that's pretty much the job that you were trying to do. Oh, uh, one thing I I just have a random in my notes here that I wanted to make sure to mention. Uh, I don't know where else to mention it. Is the Booty Man actually gets a promo on Saturday night that I got to see? Uh-huh. Uh The Saturday night that took place right before this. Yeah. And uh, at one point, he he ends by running off yelling. I've got booty in my soul. And uh, that's just amazing. <laughs> Saturday night, we I'm, we might need to make 
30 years of Saturday night in another 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a butt in his soul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I feel like I definitely know the answer to this, but what, pray tell, was your match of the night? <laughs> it was the Signer Brothers and the Road Warriors and really nothing else. And the thing is, like, that match is really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is not like, oh, there's nothing else to choose. I have to choose. That yeah. match actually was fantastic. Yeah. And and like you meant, you said that there was, you know, a botch here and there. But, yeah. I mean, considering that these two teams probably not face in a long time. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really good. Just the frequent tagging and also just, like, uh, the double teams and, like, the the potential, the false finishes yeah. towards the end. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't really happy with how the actual ending was. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of like a small complaint. The the actual match itself was really good. And just reminded me, like, yeah, the Steiner brothers were a really great tag team to watch. I agree. That's easily the match of the night. No question about it. Uh, my MVP comes from that match, and I am going with Road Warrior Animal. Oh. I thought that uh, he did a great job selling. He did most of the selling for his team, which makes sense since Hawk can't or won't sell. Um, but he did he did a great job selling. The offense that he hit was great. Uh, and he's just kind of an underappreciated guy, I feel like. Uh, so hats off to you, Road Warrior Animal. You are my MVP of the March 11th, 1996 Nitro. Dave, how about you? Um, I, boy, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to give it to the Steiner Brothers. Okay. Uh, I thought, even though it looked really kind of low budget, that their entrance was cool. Yeah. And, and as far as like, Coming back and showing the American fans as far as what you can do, they 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 did as as well of a debut performance as you could want. Uh, I mean, their promo is still like you know it's the Steiner brothers, but I I just the whole time I was like that's right. I mean, they those guys had such a f- exciting, fun offense to watch, and and to have another real tag team. That can do like tag team, uh, double team moves and stuff like that is awesome. So yeah. I give it to the Steiner Brothers. All right. In our Raw recap, uh, Jerry Lawler interviewed a young Olympic hopeful who is hoping to go to the Atlanta Olympics this summer. Uh, he got in an argument with that guy and got hit with a press slam. Any any guesses on who that might have been? Was that Mark Henry? It sure was. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize. I mean, I knew that they had really signed him like right away. You know, but I didn't realize that they were doing stuff with him even before he made the Olympics. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Austin and Savio Vega went to a double countout. The Godwins beat some jobbers. Triple H beat a jobber. There was uh, some billionaire Ted stuff, which did have a couple good jokes about handcuffs and shoes. Some sort of references to oh, things that we've seen lately. Gotcha. Uh, it, it was kind of funny. In the main event, The Undertaker and Yokozuna beat Owen Hart and the British Bulldog by disqualification. They also started airing some real good uh, promo packages for the Iron Man match that's coming up at WrestleMania between Bret the Hitman Hart and Shawn Michaels. Yeah, that w- um, because I mean, obviously, it's it like some of the stuff is pretty surreal that it's twenty years later. But um, I I I just think about it with the Iron Man match. Yeah, being twenty years old, uh, that kind of like struck me as like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking old <laughs> especially since that's like we're starting to get like towards the, the the end of Bret Hart's active career yeah that's essentially. true uh and it's just weird that's like it's been such a long time 
In our ratings roundup, we've got two weeks' worth of ratings to go over. Uh, last week on March 4th, the Civil War uh, TV movie that we talked about that preempted Nitro. Yeah. It got a 6.4. <laughs> so uh, if you thought that it was dumb that they were preempting Nitro for a TV movie about the Civil War, you were wrong. <laughs> it did excellent. I, I wonder I wonder how Eric felt about that. <laughs> Realizing that like essentially anything else is going to do better. I feel like that's that's still not as bad, though, as getting your rating uh, destroyed by the Westminster Dog Show, as <laughs> happened to Raw a few weeks ago. That's true. The unopposed Raw that ran on March 4th did a 3.6, which is good, but probably not as good as maybe you could have hoped, given that you were unopposed. Mm-hmm. This week, for the show that we reviewed, Nitro got a 3.2, and Raw got a 2.9. Wow, okay. In uh, wrestling news around the world, on March 5th, Kevin Nash called Vince McMahon and officially gave notice that he is leaving the WWF to sign with a mystery rival organization. (laughs) (laughs) I love pretending to be coy about that. (laughs) Where will he be? I I hope that Kevin Nash described that to Vince. (laughs) I'm going to go to a mystery. (laughs) Is it WCW? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, no, it's ECW. <laughs> Sid Udy, uh Psycho Sid, Sid Justice, uh, Sid, you know, Sid. Sid, yeah. He uh, is currently signed with WWF, but he is out with injury. Uh, but he appeared at a Memphis wrestling show, uh, Jerry Lawler's, you know, little USWA, I think is the initials. Yeah. Uh, and announced his uh, retirement. And it's unclear right now, according to Dave Meltzer, if it's a work or a shoot. Okay. <laughs> I did notice on Saturday night that Mean Gene was uh, using it uh, to entice people to call the hotline. Like, (laughs) which former world champion announced his retirement recently? Like, in that sort of way. Sure. Uh, Ric Flair was arrested and charged with aiding and abetting a DWI. Uh, He went out. Oh, go on. It's probably not as exciting as it sounds. He (laughs) went out with uh, his wife and some friends to a Charlotte Hornets game. Mm -hmm. Uh, they got plastered. His wife left early and, uh, their friend, uh, Colette, a, a 20 year old woman. So she's underage in addition to all this. Cool. Uh, she just, she's going to drive Flair home. However, she's also drunk. Uh So Flair is so wasted. He can't even drive. And you know, he drives drunk all the time, (laughs) but he's so drunk. He can't even, he can't even drive. So she drives drunk. Uh, the cops pull him over she's drunk too mm-hmm. uh i did not know that aiding and abetting a dwi was a thing that you could get charged with <laughs> especially if you're wasted <laughs> uh because like what was he sp- well not whatever I, anyway I'm, the only thing i could think of is like maybe if she was of age it yeah. would have been different but he spent the night in jail but it's not like a serious crime he's not going to do a lot of jail time or anything uh they even joked about it in a promo before nitro uh with kevin sullivan saying that it was not rick flair and a 20 year old woman it was Dave Penzer and a 12-year-old woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's good. that's a good one. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> I wonder, it'd be interesting to see how many times a, uh, a rainy world champion has spent a night in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot. <laughs> Probably, Probably a- pretty fucking frequently. <laughs> In other news, Mick Foley has filed suit against WCW over the infamous match in Germany against Vader that cost him a portion of his ear. Foley, who wrestled in WCW as Cactus Jack, is alleging that the ropes were over-tightened, and thus a spot that he has done safely many times in his career 
uh, where his head gets caught up between two of the ropes. This time resulted in the ear loss. Incidentally, Foley will soon be debuting for WWF as the character Mankind. I believe at this point there's they've maybe aired some vignettes or I think so, yeah. Because uh, I believe it's right after WrestleMania that that character makes the debut. Um, so he is going to be debuting. Uh, he's he's still appearing in ECW, just kind of wrapping up his last dates with them. But mm-hmm. he is WWF bound. Speaking of moves, uh, this one we didn't announce because I didn't realize it at the time. But uh, One Man Gang is no longer a part of World Championship Wrestling. Oh, no. Uh, losing the United States title to Conan was actually his last match. So he was really only around for a few months. He came back and uh, had the spirit of Akeem sent back to the underworld by Kevin Sullivan. Cool. As we all remember. <laughs> uh, and then he won the United States Championship from Kensuke Sasaki just to act as a transitional champion to get the belt on Conan when he appeared. Mm-hmm. So that's all the news uh, around the wrestling world. Kind of a interesting transitional time. There's a lot going on each and every week. The guns have sort of haven't been blazing as bad between WCW and WWF for maybe a week or two things things have settled down a bit yeah uh i don't know you got any other thoughts before i ship this one off to the podcast printing press <laughs> um so is it so we still have like what two weeks until uncensored uh i believe we have one more nitro and then uncensored so we have uh how many more changes to that match do you suppose we're gonna have <laughs> so many <laughs> uh I've, I've sort of peeked ahead a little bit at some of the observers and uh, the maneuverings that get us to what we have now. And just to recap that again, it is a a three-level, four-cage match Mm -hmm. where Hulk Hogan will go through four cages, uh, each containing either Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, or Lex Luger. Yep. And he has to beat all of them to win the match. They are known as the Alliance Stand Hulkamania. That is where we stand as of right now. Oh, yes. Uh, I believe the Booty Man is supposed to face, um, God, one of the Dungeon of Doom. Or maybe Arn at the pay-per-view. I don't know what Randy's supposed to be doing. Uh, Randy's just sort of left, right. Like, he doesn't really have a feud right now. Mm-hmm. He's just Hogan's running buddy. Um, but anyway, we'll we'll see how that uh, may change come next week. Okay. <laughs> when we see you again right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. He's gonna chase them back in the bedroom, uh, back into the locker room, and whip them till they get their clothes on. 